You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Romans 12, just first two verses only for now. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. If I weren't north of the United States border, you would be feeling with me a very intense pressure of politics and military and economies that are upon all of us to some degree right now. Those in the United States are wondering with intensity, are we going to war or are we already at war? Could be on any number of fronts. For our nation, we are told that we may be in more jeopardy than at any time since World War II. Are we going to go to war with China or Russia or North Korea or Iran? And if you've been a part of the U.S. military, if you've been a part of the government, anything like that over the last two decades, you almost don't even want to think about it. Because we are, at this point, weighed down with conflict fatigue. We don't even want to hear the names anymore of nations or people, Hutu, Hamas, Taliban, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Ayatollah, Hussein, bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, Assad, Hezbollah. Come on, I don't even want to hear it. Because we know when we hear it, all the names will create tension. We will recognize darkness and pain and shame. And at least in our nation, a question just comes anytime you mention anything in the Middle East right now, and it is, can anything good come out of the Middle East? anything. In answer to that question, Christian news commentator Jim Dennison says this, can anything good come out of the Middle East? In recent years, so many Muslims have been coming to Christ that ministries are placing ads in Middle Eastern newspapers asking this question, have you seen the man in white robes in your dreams. The newspaper ads are the reflection of a phenomenon we cannot explain, where quite literally tens of thousands of people are having precisely the same dream. In their dreams, people who have been taught to hate Jesus and that Christians hate them nonetheless see a man in white robes appear in their dream and beckon them to come to Jesus Christ. And tens of thousands have responded. 
Now, even as I tell you that story, I have to confess something. <laughs> I'm a Presbyterian. And I don't quite know what to make of this. I mean, it does not fit my categories. But of this, I'm absolutely convinced. The Lord is showing mercy in amazing ways. Out of all our darkness and failure and pain and shame, Jesus comes and mercy flows. And it's the way it always works. Not in our pride, not in our accomplishment, not in our power. When does the gospel flow the most freely? When we are tired of our darkness and feeling so intensely our pain and our shame, then Jesus comes and mercy flows. Please do not fail to understand what the news commentators cannot see and will not report. If you are 15 years of age or younger, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus Christ in your lifetime than in the last 1,500 years. There are incredible things happening. Listen, there, there are more Christians worshiping Jesus today in China than in the U.S. and Canada combined. Did you hear that? There are more Christians worshiping Jesus in China today than in the U.S. and Canada combined. Out of what we think could not possibly be, God is working, and Jesus comes and spreads His Word and His mercy. Happened years ago, you know that. 1948, the communists kicked the missionaries out of China, and you, the gospel's done. It had just begun. Out of that darkness, out of the pain, out of the shame, the hurt, Jesus comes. If you had stood at the foot of the cross, you would have said, God, this is wrong. And when the darkness came upon the earth, you would have said, it's all done. It's hopeless. Nothing's going to happen from this man. And within 200 years, that crucified Jesus would be the faith of the empire of Rome. Out of darkness and pain and shame, Jesus comes and mercy flows. It's Paul's whole point in the book of Romans. We're kind of picking up about, you know, mid-character in the book. But if you'd gone back to the beginning, you would see Paul saying, here's what happened. Here's how darkness came upon us. And he goes all the way back to those first parents, Adam and Eve, and talked about how sin and corruption entered the world and ultimately touched everybody, so that there is none righteous, no, not one. Even the Apostle Paul writes what in the book of Romans? That what, what I want to do, says an apostle, I do not do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And his answer, thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For I'm persuaded, says the apostle, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, things to come, height or depth, or anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're united to Him, not by our goodness, not by our works, even out of our pain and darkness, Jesus comes, and mercy overcomes. And it's that mercy that he picks up on right here in chapter 12. 
It's, it's right at that point in the book of Romans where he's going to say, now listen, you have all these obligations because of the God who has saved you. Civil and corporate, individual and moral, all of these duties. But before he, he, he mentions one of them, what does he say? I appeal to you by the mercies of God. If you're going to do anything, the first question is, why would you do it? If you're going to walk the Christian path, if you're going to follow you, why would you do it? Paul says, Romans 12, make mercy your motivation. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to do all these things. And, and we will not understand the power of that phrase. I appeal to you by the mercy of God unless you consider what could have gone in the place of those words. What could the apostle have said? Obey. I appeal to you by the guilt you will feel if you don't. I appeal to you by the rejection you will face if you fail. He says none of that. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. The God who sent His Son, the God who provided forgiveness, the God who sent His Son to you, I appeal to you by Him. Be motivated by how great is His mercy toward you, not by how bad you feel. I must tell you, I said to some of the students in my class this week, even though I know the rightness of what I'm saying, because of my background and my parenting and how I was raised even the part of the country, it's sometimes hard for me to hear those words, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Because every other kind of motivation wants to creep in. You know, when I was, was raised in kind of the Bible belt of the United States, I, as well as many other young Christians of my generation, we were all members of what was known as the BMA. That is the Bible Memory Association. And being a member of the Bible Memory Association was a lot of fun. I mean, you... Every month, you got this kind of illustrated book of lots of Bible verses, which was to draw you in so that you would memorize verses of the Bible. And if you memorized enough verses, you got a prize. I mean, I can remember with pride when I earned my very first glow-in-the-dark cross of Jesus. <laughs> and you can be very proud of it, but, but it does something to you, this kind of performance and reward mentality of approaching the Scriptures. And for me, the consequence was, you know, I could look at these very familiar verses that I memorized as a child, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I could even repeat them in the King James Version because we only memorized in the King James Version back in that day. Some of you remember the King James Version of Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because in the King James day, you do a lot of beseeching, right? I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable act of worship. See, I can still do it just like that. And in some measure, that's the problem. Because even though I can recite the words and kind of roll them out of memory, what I said as a child is not what my heart heard. I said the right words to you. Here is what my heart heard. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, and then you'll be holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your reasonable service. Is that what it says? No. But isn't it what we hear? You be a good living sacrifice, and then you'll be holy and acceptable to God. Listen, the word holy should have been a clue. Is anything that we do going to make us holy and acceptable to God? After all, our best works are just filthy rags to God. So how can the apostle be saying, you present yourselves as a living sacrifice, and then you'll be holy? He didn't say that. These words, holy and acceptable, are not a statement of what you will become. They are a declaration of what you are. You are holy and acceptable to God. And the consequence of that is that you present yourself to Him as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable, and we want to start arguing with the apostles. How can I be holy and acceptable to God? I know my sin, my struggles, my weakness, the difficulties even of this very day. How could I be holy? Well, where did the verse begin? I urge you, by the mercies of God, not by your merits, not by your accomplishments, by God's mercies. He took the sin that was on you and put it on Christ and the righteousness of Christ and put it on you. And that is done by faith alone, so that our heads are lifted with the reality of He has been merciful out of darkness and pain and shame. Jesus comes to people like us, and His mercy begins to flow, and it changes everything in the Christian life. Mercy becomes the key to motivating us, to getting our heads up, to helping us serve God when we know we're undeserving. How does it happen? You know, I, I think of, of my wife, and, and I so admire her, her patience and her tenderness with, with children and grandchildren. I mean, when, I'm kinda, when my tank is empty, <laughs> she still seems to have a full tank of patience and tenderness, which sometimes is her vulnerability, because she will begin to perceive that that tenderness has not changed all children and grandchildren the way that she hoped it would. And guilt and self-recrimination begins to pile upon her. It happened a year ago about this time. So you all are used to the snow and ice. My part of the United States, not so much. But we did have an ice storm that came across our part of the country. And my oldest son's family that lives a few hours away, their house was without power one day, two days, three days, four days. When the house got down to about, you know, the low 40s, we got the call. Mom, Dad, can we come stay with you for a few days? You know, well, sure, come on. And so they came, you know, my son, his wife, their son, their daughter, and the dog. And, and things went fine for a few hours. And, and, you know, after a while, new setting, not their place, not their schedule, you know the anxieties begin to build in the kids. And, you know, all the, the misbehavior and the whining and the crying. Now, you know, I'm the granddad, so I, I look at my son and I kind of go, serves you right. This is what you did to us. <laughs> but not my wife. 
You know, she sees in the antics and the misbehaviors of the grandchildren all our failures <laughs> to raise our children to be better parents. And suddenly, you know, a misplaced word decades ago, you know, a, a question about was it too angry, not angry enough, what do, did we do right? You know, it just begins to crush her with this sense of guilt. And so my wife says she has learned never to go into that file cabinet of painful memories without first opening the drawer with the key that is called mercy. God has been merciful to me, knows the worst, and sent His Son. And as I put my faith in Him, takes my sin as far as the east is from the west. God knows, and He has mercy toward His people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, why do you do what you do? Please, not just to avoid guilt and rejection, because of God's great mercy that lifts your head and gives you strength and energy for the doing of the things that He requires. And that's, that's not just a word to moms, right? Everybody needs to hear it. Ministers, elders, leaders in the church. You know, Lyndon and Kyle and I will know a, kind of a, a famous preacher of a century ago, Alexander White in, in, um, in Scotland. And some tragedy had come to their community, so the ministers of the community gathered in Alexander White's home to kind of strategize how they would help the community, what they would do. And the meeting concluded. They kind of figured out what they were going to do, and everybody left except for one older minister who just lingered. Ever have a guest that just lingers? <laughs> and it gets kind of hard and embarrassing. And at some point, you know, the embarrassment became too much. And so the older man got ready to leave and said, Now, Dr. White, before I go, what, what word of comfort do you have for an old sinner like me. And Alexander White wrote, it took my breath away. He was an old saint, but he had lost the hope of the gospel. And Alexander White said he didn't know quite what to do, so he just rose from his chair, he crossed to where the older man was, took his hand and said, what word of comfort for an old sinner but this? We have to deal with the one who delights in showing mercy. The words from the Old Testament prophet Micah. We have to deal with the one who delights to show mercy. Not much more was said, but the next day a, a note came to Dr. White. Dear Dr. White, those words that you spoke to me were strength to my soul. I had lost hope. But you reminded me of the heart of my Lord. I will never doubt him again. And the next time Satan throws my sin in my face, I will say to him, yes, it's all true. And you know not the half of it. But I have to deal with the one who delights in showing mercy. And so do I. And so do you. Praise God. We have to deal with the one who delights to show mercy. He's not taking, you know, mercy by the pennies out of his penny purse. 
Here is the lavish riches of heaven and the glory of God in the face of Jesus showing us how great is his mercy and saying, this is for you. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Because ultimately it is not just motivation, it is ultimately the power of the Christian life. I mean, look at how the apostle says this. You know these words. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. What's motivating everybody else? Guilt, rejection, gain, comparison, competition. (laughs) Don't be like that. There's something else that's going to motivate you, enabling you to lift your head and be strong for the purpose of, and it's recognizing how great is his love for a sinner like you. And that that changes you. And you begin to understand the essence of it when you know what is behind Paul writing these words. Now, you can't be in in Christian circles very long without hearing these words. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And often we talk about, you know, get a good worldview and read good books and uh, listen to good sermons and, you know, improve your mind. And it becomes some sort of intellectual task of self-improvement. Now, there are verses in the Bible about filling your mind with good thoughts. This is not one of them. What is this verse about? Paul began talking about this renewed mind two chapters earlier when he is grieving for his Jewish brothers and sisters. And here's the grief. He writes of what his concern is, Romans 10 and verse 2. He says, I bear them witness, my Jewish brothers and sisters, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Hear that? There is something wrong with their minds. What's wrong with their minds? For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. What is God's righteousness? It's in the very first chapter of Romans. There is a righteousness of God that has been revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, those who are justified will live by faith, not by their righteousness, faith in the righteousness of God, what He is providing through Christ Jesus. Paul is saying they they keep trying to be better than other people. If it's not mercy that's motivating you in the walk of faith, what will? Inevitably, we will start playing the games of comparison and competition. What do lots of people in the church think? What's going to make you okay with God? I mean, you know you're not perfect. So people, no, I'm not perfect. I'm just better than those people. Right? It's the old joke. I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you. And there are people who are saying, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to be better than those. God God says, no, by the mercy. And if you're not just competing with people and putting them down by comparison so that you'll feel better, you know what that's going to do? It's going to make you not like the rest of the world. Because that's how they're living, by comparison and competition and am I not doing better? And, And this is not just some sort of sentimental, spineless Christianity. Just love everybody. The absolute hardest things 
in the Christian life are only accomplished by understanding how great has been the mercy of God for you. You want to see it? You want to see the hard, hard things that are changed by minds transformed by mercy? Verse 10 of Romans chapter 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. But God, they don't deserve it. They do not deserve it. With their idiot mistakes, with their dumb policies, the leaders of the church, the leaders of the... What do you mean show them honor? They don't deserve that. What does God say? You know you're right. But I delight in showing mercy. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. But Lord, you know what they did to our family. You know how badly he hurt me. I lost my job because of him. And the Lord says, yes. But I delight in showing mercy. Verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But God, they started it. He started it. (laughs) Well, yeah, you're right. But I delight in showing mercy. Hardest one of all, verse 19. Never avenge yourselves. Lord, that is not reasonable. But it is the reasonable worship of those whose God delights in showing mercy. You want to see the transformation? Remember who's writing. The very apostle who has been pursuing Christians to death before the mercy of God came into his life. Undeserving. Torturing, killing, persecuting anybody who followed Jesus. But now at the end of his ministry, Romans 15, he actually says this, because of the grace given to me, I am a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. What did a Jew think a Gentile was? An unclean dog. But I become a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable to the God who delights in mercy. (laughs) He's changed. It's not competition. It's not put-downs. It's not hurting other people so you'll feel okay about your... It's It's absolute delight in the mercy of God and totally changes him. And Paul is actually saying to us, it can change you too. It's not just comparison or getting the best of them or getting ahead in the race. If, If it's really a matter of saying, how great has his mercy been to me, I just want you to know that too. The pastors and I will know one of the leaders in our church, his name is Paul Koistra, and Before he became a leader of the mission organization, he was a a social worker 
in some destitute portions of the southern United States. And when he was working as a social worker, he worked with kids who were disadvantaged. One of them, her name was Edie. She was good in track at school, so they called her Speedy Edie. Speedy Edie was good at track, but not good at reading. So they put her in the remedial reading program. And some of you who are educators know how good that works sometimes. They even say good when it should have said well. <laughs> it becomes an academic whirlpool, right? You're labeled a problem reader, and the label becomes more heavy than the curriculum. Except for Edie. Edie was the only one who got back up on grade level out of the remedial reading program. And, of course, now all the administrators in the district, they go to the teacher, what would you do different with Edie? Different book? No. Different curriculum? No. Different methodology? No. Well, you must have done something different, said the teacher. Well, you know Edie runs track. We know all about speedy Edie, said the teacher. Sometimes I went to her track meets, and I cheered for her. And that was the difference. There was someone for her who lifted her up, who gave her strength and ability, where it wasn't just her making it right. There was somebody who was unquestionably for her. And that's what Paul is telling you about your God in this passage. I urge you, by the mercies of God, to recognize you are holy and acceptable to Him. You have to deal with the one who delights in mercy. And, and that's supposed to fill your heart with encouragement and strength and zeal and hope that actually enables you to live for Him and help others in their walk as well. It's, it's just transformative. And if you have to kind of make sense of it, you know, in the world in which we live, I understand you Canadians sometimes are interested in something called the Stanley Cup. I, I'm not sure what that is, but... And you're going to have to use your imagination here just a little bit. But just imagine that the maple leaves are in the... Imagine <laughs> that they are in the finals. And imagine that it's the final game. And they win. And just, just imagine, not just the stadium, imagine Toronto exploding in cheers. And what I want you to know is, no matter how loud the cheers, they are dim compared to 10,000 times 10,000 angels declaring over you, holy and acceptable, dear God, is this one to you. In all their struggles and all their weakness and all the, this one, Lord, though, believes in Jesus. Holy and acceptable is this one, dear Lord. And as you hear the swell of the cheers of the angels behind you, it will lift you and strengthen you. By mercy, our God saves us. By mercy, He sanctifies. By mercy, He lifts our head. By mercy, by mercy, by mercy. It is the echo of grace that makes our service sweet. And our hearts strong. <laughs> Christian, why do you do what you do? 
Oh, do it because of the mercy. And may the joy of the Lord be your strength. Father, I thank you for these who gather to serve you. Would you remind us of the gospel that is our strength? Not because we believe more than others, do more than others, but because Christ has done all for us. We celebrate, even in the meal that he provides, all that you are doing to nourish and provide for those of us weak in faith, weak in obedience, but turning to a God who delights in mercy. May it lift our heads, strengthen our lives for the work and testimony of the gospel. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.